Turn to Acts chapter 11. As I continue in the book of Acts, specifically in chapter 11, spending some time in there actually, enjoying it personally myself. We'll start in verse 19, where we started last week, and as I said, I'll be here for at least three or four sermons. As soon as I can find my... There it is. Okay, verse 19 to verse 30. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. I spoke out of those three verses last week. I will speak out of the next two verses, three verses today. Then a report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. We'll stop there. Father, like always, we want to petition your grace when it comes to understanding the text, understanding your living word, how it speaks to us, how it spoke to your servants 2,000 years ago, how it spoke to your disciples for the last 2,000 years. God, we want to know what you're saying to us. Encourage our hearts, Father God. These aren't arbitrary religious sayings. They were purposely put there by the Holy Ghost, Father God. Every word is there for our edification, our instruction, our encouragement, our warning, our correction, and our rebuke. Help us, Father God, with this text today. Let us see somehow, God, if all of us in this room today can see, can live what Barnabas lived when he walked into the church and he saw the grace of God. Father, let us capture that moment with some clarity, with some insight. Can we relive the power? Can we relive the joy that Barnabas had when he walked in and he saw idolaters worshiping Christ in Jesus' name? I was sharing very enthusiastically this week as... I don't normally do. I don't usually share sermon material as I'm preparing. But I was very excited this week, more than other weeks, because this text, it grips me. It grips me. It owns me. This is, it says something about me. As I preach, you'll know something about Brian Martin today. To be honest with you, it's something I can preach extemporaneous. My notes are very few because this is something that just, it, 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 like I said, it, it, it's, it's within me. I can almost sense Barnabas's sheer ecstasy when he walked in and he saw the grace of God. And I'll speak about that as I get there. I want to start with an illustration of a sort about Lewis and Clark. 
as they were making their way west, they heard of the great river, it was the Pacific Ocean. And they were on a quest to go from Louisiana all across, chart out as much as the, the new frontier as they could, but they kept on hearing rumors of this great river by the native Indians. It was the Pacific Ocean. And they wanted to get there, they wanted to chart it, they wanted to see it. And here is an excerpt from one of the diaries. In early May, the expedition almost lost one of its two canoes when a sudden gust of wind caught the sails and heeled the vessel over to its side. Only quick action by one of the guides who was riding in the vessel saved the precious journals and supplies that otherwise would have been lost. The young woman reached into the river and retrieved as much as she could. But by now, Lewis and Clark were growing ever more anxious to catch a sight of the Rockies, the mountain barrier they knew they would have to cross. In the last week of May, Lewis saw the mountains for the first time, and he was filled with joy. But immediately tempered by the realization of the challenge that lay ahead. That's what we have in our text today. We have Barnabas being sent to on rumors, on news of this great work of God going in a pagan land in Antioch, 300 miles north of Jerusalem. And he's bound to get there. Something extraordinary was taking place. News of this extraordinary hand of God saving Greeks from idolatry, praising and worshiping Jesus, reached the ears of the mother church in Jerusalem, and they knew something was going on. It wasn't one report. It was a report after report after report over a prolonged period of time. This is 10 years after Pentecost. This is 10 years after chapter 2. We're 10 years into Christian growth and only nine chapters. And here we are, something extraordinary that's never taken place has taken place, or at least rumors of it has taken place. They don't really know. They need eyewitness accounts. They're hearing things coming back. So they sent a good man named Barnabas there. Rumors that Greeks were coming to God. Men and women who, from a Jewish perspective, were beyond redemption. And that Jesus was on their lips and that the message of Jesus was in their hearts. Barnabas longed to know what was taking place. And as they were sharing it with any who would listen. This wholesale giving away of the gospel. This wholesale giving away of the good news of Jesus with no boundaries, no rules, no regulations, no law keeping. Just the message of the cross. Unheard of. No circumcision, no temple, no priest, no prophet, no apostle. Just the intrinsic power of the gospel to save by no name preachers. No apostles, no prophets, no evangelists, no organizations. The mother church just couldn't comprehend this. Could it be true? What we're hearing these rumors. This great and vast ocean, Lewis and Clark said, this, how big can a river be? They had to see it. And the Rockies were not going to stop. 
Nothing was going to stop the Jerusalem church. Nothing was going to stop Barnabas from seeing this. The question would have been, how could this possibly be? This is impossible. There are no leaders. There's no teachers. There's no elders. How is God glorifying himself without us? It's hard to believe. We're the mother church. Christianity was birthed here. We're the chosen people. And God's doing something without us. These rumors. Who's the apostle up there? Who's the evangelist up there? Who's the Jewish? Who of the circumcision party has brought the word to the, non, to the non-Jew? Who dare would go? Who had the faith to believe that God would save the unredeemable? These rumors, we got to see it for our own eyes. God glorifying himself without our consent. <laughs> to find out that God was saving sinners without their permission. Now that might sound a little bit over the top, but please, that's an attitude within the Christian church. Something we all got to be careful of. But this is what Barnabas is traveling in his heart with. These rumors, this news that made it way 300 miles south to the church of Jerusalem and now he's, he's on this journey. This is what's living in his heart. This is a man who's a good man, filled with faith, filled with the Holy Spirit. He loves God. He loves the Word of God. He loves the people of God. He loves the message of the cross. He himself is, is, was from uh, uh, Cyprus. He was a Levite. When he heard the good news of what was going on at Pentecost, he, he sold everything he had, and he gave it to the apostles. He laid it at his feet. When he was sick, this man was all in. He was all in. And here he is, he's marching up like Lewis and Clark, hearing of this great ocean that was protected by the great mountain range. He's going to get there no matter what. He traveled with the rumors in his heart, and as they saw it, and they saw how wonderful of a sight it was, and they were filled with joy of what they saw, just the whole mountain range and the prospect of what lie behind. They knew there was great joy, but they knew it wasn't going to be easy. Barnabas saw it. And we'll get into the text later. He realized they needed teachers and they needed Paul. There was still work to go on. When Barnabas finally arrived, our text, the ESV says, when finally came, in the Greek, it's better, the NIV says, when he arrived, it says it a little better. And what's important, that the word always means to come to a place at the end of a journey with an intention. It's not just an arbitrary, he went on a trip. It was for an intended purpose he went. And now he has arrived for the intended purpose to see what was taking place. And it says when he finally got there and he saw. His heart and mind were perplexed. He wasn't sure what to believe, especially what to expect. Surely he was expecting at best some sort of organized religious church service as he knew it was in Jerusalem. Leaders and protocol. But it could not have been more different. What he saw overwhelmed him. Different faces, 
different languages, different dress, different food, different culture. Everything was different, but Jesus was the same. This is incredible. The praise was the same. The worship was the same. The joy was the same. They worship in spirit and in truth. The sweet worship of God and the love of Jesus, he was overwhelmed. And it says, he was glad. It means he rejoiced. This is no passive rejoicing. Please understand something. This is not a man writing his memoirs and he's thinking about his, the time and that event. and saying, oh, you know something? I, had a, I was happy in my heart. That's not what it meant. It meant is that he hit a wall. He was so overwhelmed by the grace of God. It wasn't about the people he saw, though he loved the people he saw. He was overwhelmed that God loved these people. When he saw the grace of God, a demonstration of the grace of God. Please don't miss this. What he saw was all this enthusiasm for the love of Jesus. As I said last week, when they were first called disciples at Antioch, uh, Christians, I should say, it was a negative connotation. They didn't give the name to themselves. It referred to Jesus freaks. What the rest of the culture up in this metropolis would see, there were cities, all they do is talk about Jesus. You know, you, you were with me in the temple. Now you're talking about Jesus. You were with me in the brothel. Now you're talking about Jesus. You were with me here and you're talking about Jesus. It's all about Jesus now. That's how they got the name. When he went there and he saw the genuine fruit of the Spirit, which is always love for one another. Don't miss it. And what was absent? You couldn't find Moses anywhere. There was no circumcision. There was no commandments. There might not have been an Old Testament. There was no temple. There was no, there was no saved rabbi or Pharisee or Sadducee or priest. There was nothing Jewish about it at all. And here comes this man by birthright who's a Levite. Who's saved by grace and loves Messiah. Hearing these rumors of a whole different culture embracing the same God. Is, this is not real. How can this be? And the first thing he saw was the grace of God being demonstrated in the life of these most peculiar people. What he saw was consistent love for another. What he saw was prayer, deep, enthusiastic, heartfelt prayer and dependence on Christ. Whatever they knew of the apostles' teachings, they were holding fast to the apostles' teachings, whatever they might have been, though they might have never have seen an apostle. What little bit of teaching they had, which is enough to save them, and we're going to find out, not enough to sanctify them. That's why they needed Barnabas and Saul. Don't, don't miss this. Don't put the cart before the horse. This church on paper is a mess. It's a mess. Barnabas knows that. 
Barnabas looks in, he sees a bunch of people coming out of the pagan background with loose moral uh, 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 rules and regulations. They have no morality at all. But they're all in for Jesus. But they need to be cleaned up. Even Paul said that about the Corinthians. They were a mess. But they have every gift from God. They didn't need one gift from God. But they were still a mess. Can't miss it. You would think you were going to walk into a nice Jerusalem church. You've got to remember something. When the Jews got saved, they, they were halfway into a life of sanctification. Anyway. They had other issues. But understand something. They weren't dealing with... Uh, uh, lax moral issues. They, they weren't dealing with deep adultery. They weren't living in, in, in all sorts of drunkenness and debauchery. The Jewish kids, they were clean. They lived basically a clean life. But when you got outside of Jerusalem, it was an absolute mess. When Barnabas walked in there, he saw an absolute mess saved by grace. God just didn't deal with the mess yet. It would take a good man. It would take a man filled with faith, and I'll explain it later, and the Holy Ghost to go up there and observe what's going on. You don't want to send any man into this tire, this tire, this sort of uncharted territory. You needed a man who was a good man. You needed a man who was filled with the Holy Spirit. He had all the fruit of the Spirit up and operating in his life. What it means he was full of faith. It's not just some sort of, you know, a, a, a theoretical I believe. No, he believed in the whole New Testament religion, the new covenant. He had faith in Jesus only. He had faith that God saves sinners. He had faith that it's Jesus alone that saves. He was all into the new message that Moses is gone and Jesus is here. This is not just I believe. He embraced the new covenant and to him the old covenant does not exist anymore. He was filled with New Testament He was able to go into that room, whatever it might have been. We don't know what kind of geographical location. We don't know if it was a house church. Though many of the churches in the, in the book of Acts in the New Testament were house churches. We don't know. But wherever this location was, and it seems to have been one location in Antioch, where people gathered, we can assume probably safely some sort of Sabbath worship, they were coming out, and they don't have the, the stench of the Greek culture and the lax morality about them. They were enthusiastically embracing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They were praying to him. They were worshiping him. They were loving him. And don't miss this. They didn't stop sharing him with everybody else. That's why the rest of the culture said they're Christians. You know what it meant? They follow this Christos. What it meant. The one positive 
attribute is that they were called Christians. We know nothing else from the text. The hand of the Lord was there. He was saving many. Barnabas went up. He was overwhelmed. But it doesn't say nothing about the church. There's only one attribute given to the church. They were called Christians. But that's enough that tells us they were called Christians because they were all in. They loved Christ. They turned from darkness. They came to the light. They were sharing the faith. They still needed to be cleaned up. And this is the overwhelming grace of God. When Barnabas walked in there and he saw the grace of God, you don't think Barnabas saw the nonsense? You don't think Barnabas saw the flesh? You don't think Barnabas saw the cleaning up that needed to take place? You don't think Barnabas didn't see this thing? But an encourager sees the big picture first and foremost. God is glorifying himself. Get out of the way. Don't mess it up. Don't be looking when you're doing this and you're saying this and you're dressing like this and you're doing all this. And Don't try to clean up the people before they're saved and they got so much Jesus in them that cleaning them up is no problem. It's, it, it rips me apart when people, you get saved and then get changed real quick. That's not grace. Get saved and get Jesus and drink of his grace and drink of his mercy and drink and get so close to him that the things of the world just fall by the wayside. Of course there's things we got to deal with. Barnabas knew that. Barnabas was close to Saul. The apostle Paul, he understood the nature of the flesh. It's danger, and we'll get into that. That's why he encouraged there and stay, stay steadfast with the Lord. He understood. He saw their weaknesses. He saw their frailties. He knew their blind spots. I'm overwhelmed by that. I love that. John loves that. It lives in his heart. It lives in my heart. It lives in our wife's hearts. It lives in this church's heart. We know the power of God to save, and we know the power of God to change. You don't have to make it happen. God apparently took it upon himself to go to Antioch to unnamed preachers and set up shop. He did not ask for the consent of the Jerusalem church. As far as we know, he didn't ask any apostles to go. We don't know if there's any credible, established evangelist who went. That's why the church of Jerusalem sent a man to Barnabas. Who are the credentials? What's going on up there? Could it be? We don't know one name in this church. Barnabas, go search out the matter. See what's taking place. Bring back a report to us. Is it legitimate? Because you hear rumors and you're waiting to hear, is it Dr. So-and-so? Is it, is it Dr. Who, who, who's the pastor? Is it, do we know the name? Could God be doing a great work and we don't know the name? Did they go to Westminster? Did they go to Dallas Theological Seminary? Where did they go? I need a credential. And we forget that the whole world was turned upside down by Jewish kids. The apostles couldn't have been more than 20 years old. Tops. And Barnabas walks in and he sees the grace of God. He sees a genuine work of grace. And grace is always God's favor in spite of. Remember that. In spite of. You don't put the cart before the horse. 
The first comes the cart, salvation. Then the horse, sanctification. You don't put them two, you don't get them mixed up. You can distinguish, you don't separate them, but you need to distinguish. Barnabas went to this church, and you can rest assured after a little while, he could see the problems, but understand something. He was going to deal with that when he got Saul and bring him down over here, and they preached and they taught for a full year without stopping. He knew they needed to be cleaned up. He knew they needed to be encouraged. He knew they needed to be solidified in the faith. He knew the hard times that were going to come. He knows the flesh, but first of and foremost, he rejoiced that God was at work. And this is where I come in. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Tell them about Jesus when you get out there. Father, bless that young man and keep him always with the apple of your eye. I'll speak about Barnabas, the observer, Barnabas, the encourager, Barnabas, the concerned leader, and Barnabas, the good man. Then I'll close with some application. I wanted to grasp. Hopefully you can just see a little bit of the picture of how I looked at it for the last week and a half. As I, as I gleaned on it, and, and I can see this great work of God, and God always does that. you know. And It breaks my heart when Christians don't enter into the enjoyment of grace in someone else's life it's just you're missing it church please hear me you're missing it I'll tell you again you're missing it and if you don't get it you're going to go to heaven half empty because one of the greatest joys in a Christian life is watching other people get saved and sanctified rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn you're missing it you gotta be involved you have to be. It's a cultural thing. It's the work. It's the hand of the Lord to sit back and be an observer. Often when I'm worshiping, I won't sing. And I'll just listen to people worshiping God. I love it. I do that a lot on Sunday. I just listen. And I listen. And it's sweet to me. I can only imagine what it means to God. Because that's the grace of God. We don't come in the door saying, Oh, I sinned, I did this last night, I did this last night, oh, Pastor. Now we'll deal with those things later. Let's worship God. Worship God. Half of the work is in worshiping God. You'd be surprised how much changes in your life when you worship God, when you sing to God, and you elevate your heart to God, and then you got the tears of joy rolling down your face, and you're like, God, I don't want to ever do it again, and all of a sudden you want to confess your sin, and all of a sudden you, you want to change your life, and all of a sudden you're crying, and you're praying in a way you never cried and prayed before, you're saying, God, I got to change. It has to change now. That's what was taking place here. This Barnabas didn't run up with his copy of the Ten Commandments. Here. They didn't need that. That's like giving a drowned man a, a, a ten-pound stone. Got to give them grace. Barnabas was an observer. Please. One of the great joys of the Christian life is observing God in someone else's life or observing God in a local church or observing God in a testimony when someone gives a testimony learn to be a good observer listen to people talk to people get out of yourself 
Listen, there's enough of bad stuff in all of us that has to go. But listen to how God is working in someone else's life. The testimonies, I share them every once in a while from here, what God is doing. And don't ever miss that. See, they sent the man who was going to observe first. Is God amongst them? Barnabas was a good man. You know, sometimes, you know, we know that Jesus says that no bad tree can produce good fruit and no good tree can produce bad fruit. You will know them by their fruit. You know, and sometimes, and a, and a man like Barnabas, don't use twice an axe, use a Stephen and a Barnabas. Don't the times used. You know, and they, they were good men, filled with faith in the Holy Ghost. And you know, sometimes in, in the good, it's, it's not so much the positive attributes as much as an absence of the negative attributes. This man genuinely concer- was, was concerned with and cared for other individual human beings. That's a good person. And there's no greater gift and no greater care for someone else than that, that they know Jesus. And then you meet needs. You've got to meet needs. There's nothing wrong with meeting needs. But the spiritual need, that was one of the great things of Barnabas. And he was a man of faith. He knew that God has done a new work. The Old Testament was gone. The Old Covenant was gone. The teachings about Moses had to be understood properly from the New Testament of grace. We can get into that later on, but understand something. This man knew that God came and made a new covenant, and that was it. He was all in. And he was a man filled with the Holy Spirit. He was a man filled with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Every part of his being oozed with grace, with compassion, with concern, with humility, with goodness and kindness and joy and love and self-control. This is a mature man. You're not filled with the Spirit of God and walk around in immaturity. You're filled with the Spirit of God when you're a mature Christian. When you can take a look back and you can take a step back and you can see the worst of somebody. You can hear the worst of somebody and you can say, we'll deal with that later. Let's talk about the love of God. Let's talk about the grace of God. Yeah, I know this sin. And I know there's weaknesses, and I know there's blind spots, and we'll get to that. Let's talk about how much God loves you. Let's talk about how much you're loving God. We'll get to this over here. That takes maturity. Paul talks about that in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. He says, if any man is caught in a trespass, what does he say? You who are mature, restore such a person. See, it takes a mature man. To bring someone to restoration. The heart's got to be filled with love and compassion. And not just that. Because that's dangerous. You have to know the power of the resurrection to change a life. You have to know that God loves you and forgives you. But at the same time, God will do anything to change your life. And not leave you in that situation. That's mature. We can run around talking about the love of God in sentimental ways. But we got to be able to say... But if he gives, surely you need to repent. God can change you. God can use you. There's nothing God can't do for you. That takes maturity. That takes a man filled, a woman filled with the Holy Spirit. Barnabas was an encourager. This is really important. He knew what he was in store for because in the next verse he says, he went 100 miles up north to Tarsus to search out for Paul and bring him back and to teach. We're going to talk about this next week. But he knew... As an encourager, they needed a lot of work. 
But the main ingredient, an enthusiastic love for one another, and Jesus was there. We'll take care of the rest later. I'll talk about that next week. See, an encourager, he sees it all. But he never loses focuses of the person and the need. It's just like Jesus when they found a woman caught in adultery and they threw, her, threw the woman caught in adultery at his feet. Ah, now we got the Son of God. Let's stone her. And Jesus saw the mess. He saw the adultery. He knew that she deserved to be stoned. By the law of Moses, he was qualified to pick up the stone and beat her to death if he wanted to. But he looked past that. And he saw a woman, a child of Abraham, who needed help in her life. He saw the sanctity of life created in the image of God. He didn't see trash. He saw a human being created in the image of God who had fallen into sin. And he was the restorer. Your sins are forgiven. Daughter, go sin no more. It wasn't like, go sin no more and maybe you'll be forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Go sin no more. The human heart is slow to learn. You and I know we're forgiven. But how many times we t- we touch things we shouldn't touch? How many times? Is, how many lessons do we have to learn before God really does step into our life? Barnabas knew this. He was an encourager. You know, two things. We're all called to be encouragers. Do you know who the great encourager is? I hope so. I hope you know what Jesus calls the Holy Ghost. That's right. He's the encourager. When he comes. He will encourage you. He will remind you in all things. We come alongside the Holy Spirit when we become observers of God's grace and encourages to his people. Dealing with sin and weakness and frailties at the proper time. Not before it's time. Dealing with the human being who has fallen to sin. Dealing with the human being who's been saved by grace. Dealing with the new son of God, the new brother, the new sister in Christ that just needs help in their life. To encourage them. Let me tell you something. The greatest work in my life has been because of encouragers. Even before I got saved, God used multiple people, football coaches, karate teachers, and others that really were able to encourage me in my life. I needed that strategically in my life. I also needed to be rebuked a couple of thousand times. And God will raise up them too. To call the wife. Get married. <laughs> wives like that one men we need that we can be stupid at times alright anyway but also Barnabas besides being a good man an observer of God's grace who enjoyed it and filled his heart besides being an encourager to the downtrodden the new Christian the struggling Christian he was also a concerned leader He realized when he observed and he saw the genuine grace of God taking place, he knew he needed some help here. This church needed help. They didn't have the teachers. They didn't have apostolic oversight. They didn't have this kind of stuff. He knew he had to get poor. We'll talk about this next week. He knew he had to search out and set up camp here and understand something. 
A good Christian man, a good Christian woman who can observe the grace of God, who can encourage others, will always be concerned of where someone's going to be in one year, two years, and five years from now. Barnabas knew if he left this church the way it was, it'd never make it. That's why he set up shop for a year. Don't you know to be an encourager at cost, you've got to have skin in the game? Even First John talks about this. If you see your brother hungry, don't say, God bless him, go in peace. And he goes away hungry and needing of clothes. You've got to roll up your sleeves. Christians are called to be zealous for good works. It's not just a message of hope and peace and grace and forgiveness we have. We roll up our sleeves and you get messy into someone else's life. It's costly. And I'm afraid at times some American Christians don't like to count the cost. They want to do just enough to make sure they're saved. And after that, it's over. They don't want to go the extra mile. Everybody should go the extra mile. There should be enough of our life that's put on hold for God to interrupt. Are you with me? Amen. And when God puts someone in your life, recognize that God is doing something. And God wants to use you or use me or use the church. We need to be a concerned leader. It takes time to teach people. It says for a whole year, and I'll speak about this next week, that Saul and Barnabas set up shot and did not stop from teaching and exhorting them in the proper way to live. Can I, can I challenge everybody here? Please. Everyone in this room, as we grow in Christ, you should have someone in your life, you should be concerned about another Christian. I ask you now, who is on the cell phone that you text throughout the week to encourage them in the Christian faith? Who is it in your life that you're really taking, you're going out, it's costing you money, it's costing you time, it's costing you energy to walk side by side by somebody because you see the grace of God in their life. They're still a mess, life is still a mess, but the grace of God is there and that's the only thing we observe. I see the other stuff and I got to get involved in the other stuff and I got to get in there and I got to teach them the right way, but I also got to show them the right way. I got to exemplify the way of Christ. It costs. And do you know something? This is when a lot of people walk away. As soon as a price tag on people's precious time and, and their finances and their energies or their property. Barnabas was able to do all that for this reason. He lived in the big picture. He lived in the big picture of God's plan of redemption. Do you know when you're caught up in the big picture, you'll see less of yourself? It's a sweet thing. That's deliverance. You should be rejoicing when you hear that. Because the truth of the matter is, the last thing we want is more of us. It never ends. It never ends. You know? Father... We close this sermon because we all need help. God, I want to first and foremost thank you for every encourager you ever sent into my life, even before my Christian conversion, that helped me along the way. Lord Jesus, I thank you for carrying me even when I wasn't looking for you. And you saved me from the pit of darkness and hell. I thank you when you open up my eyes and you open up all our eyes, God. God, continue by the great work of the great encourager, the Holy Spirit, to change us from the inside out, God. Make us more soft and concerned and compassionate like our Savior. 
Let us be an encourager one to another. Let us take time out to observe the grace of God in other people's lives, even in another man's ministry. And let us be a concerned Christian person, Father God, that that can recognize a shortcoming in another Christian's life and, and walk the extra mile with them. And God, let us see everything through the big picture, your picture, where you and you alone are glorified at the end of the day. And God, we can become non-existent. God, help us in the cause of becoming non-existent that other people may live in Jesus' name.